welcome back to Pastor Life Podcast from Pinnacle Leadership Associates. I'm Rhonda Blevins. And I'm David Brown with my brand new microphone. Yeah, you're rocking the new mic, David. And you're rocking some new technology, an isolation field. Uh-huh. What, yeah. what is that on top, by the way? Is that a bath mat? Yeah, you know, kind of high tech, baby. <laughs> well, we are trying to up our podcasting game. Move over, Joe Rogan. Make way for Pastor Life Podcast. Yeah. In this pod, we'll be talking about responding to criticism. What? Pastors don't get criticism. Yeah, right. (laughs) Well, let's talk about the bulletproof pastor life. So today we're beginning with the topic of criticism, which seems to be kind of a defining experience in the pastor life. Now, I know I made the joke in the open about uh, why criticism, Um, but the truth is I think every pastor has experienced criticism. I know I have. You've shared some of your experience with me. So, David, where do you want to begin this conversation about criticism? Well, I think, first of all, there are many forms many manifestations of criticism, and pastors are probably familiar with most all of them. Uh, And that's true, I think, not just of pastors, but probably of leaders of all sorts. Michael Hyatt, leadership guru, writes that leaders face three sources of criticism, true friends, honest critics, and unhealthy trolls. Oh, yeah. And he says that distinguishing between the three is critical because we need to interact with these three sources differently. Sometimes the criticism is not actually about us, uh, but sometimes it is. And so I think that the humility to recognize and maybe the self-differentiation to to recognize when is this really about us? Uh, When is there something else going on in the dynamic? And what can we learn from criticism no matter how it's delivered? to us. You know, we pastors are humans. Um, We fall short. We have limitations. And we probably can learn something from the criticism that comes our way. Oh, for sure. But it's never easy, is it? I mean, I I never like sign up for criticism. Hey, let's, uh, here's a suggestion box. Why don't you tell me everything I'm doing wrong? Uh, I don't have the courage for anything like that, I don't think. So it's hard. And I tend not to invite it, although I know that healthy criticism is good for me and good for my church and good for my leadership growth. Yeah, I mean, really, it's it's unavoidable. You know, the reality is that if you're a pastor, if you're a leader, if you preach and embody the gospel, you will be criticized. And it's not fun. We don't really sign up for it. My Div School Dean and church history professor Bill Leonard used to tell us if you want to be a prophetic preacher, you're going to need a lifetime contract with U-Haul. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like Bill Leonard a lot. So, okay. So if criticism is a given for pastors and other leaders, then how do we respond? What's the healthy way to respond when it comes our way? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's something to give some thought to. And it probably depends on how it's coming our way. You know, if it's coming from those true fans or those honest critics, or if it's coming from the unhealthy trolls. So to kind of start, let's think about that honest critic uh, category. And I think that's probably most often what we face uh, as pastors in churches. You know, people who care at some level about the health and the direction of the congregation, 
Uh, and maybe they're expressing that criticism well, maybe they're not. I think our egos as pastors can tend to make us respond in either an aggressive way or a passive aggressive way when criticism comes our way. It's easy to sort of bulk up or lean in and and push back against the criticism, or it's easy to go underground with it and to, to sort of respond in that passive aggressive way that uh, may say, say a lot with our tone or maybe with what we don't say. And I would just say that you know, when criticism is coming, even if it's hard criticism or personal criticism, if it's coming from someone we think is an honest critic, I think if we can muster up an assertive posture with some amount of humility, it's probably the best approach, uh, the best way to respond. You know, to have that attitude of what can I learn from this? Uh, there might be something to learn about myself, might be something to learn about the other person. Might be something to learn about our church context or life in general or what God is up to in the situation. So I think if we can muster up the ability or the margin to approach it as a learning opportunity, maybe seeing this with Jesus and his assertiveness or his, his posture of leaning into an opponent uh, as our model. You know, I think uh, as with other aspects of our life and faith, we're, we're probably not quite there yet. But, uh, you know, to think about how did Jesus as a model respond to criticism and his own critics? Um, he, uh, he liked to ask questions. He would throw questions right back at people, wouldn't he? Like, absolutely. you know, kind of turn the conversation back around to them. I, he was kind of a mass, like a sensei, like a, <laughs> like exactly. a Jedi at that. Exactly. Right? Well, and if we could be a, a little better at that, and I think if we could, uh, you know, uh, tell our ego to take a time out for a second, mm -hmm. then then maybe we could be more like Jesus. Uh, yeah, and I think it. You know, I, I tend to be defensive if if, if I'm not ex especially if I'm not expecting it or whatever. I've had a bad day or or, or maybe just sure. my normal self. I can be defensive, um, and I think maybe that's where Jesus had the edge. Like he was so self assured that you know he he could he could pull the Jedi Master and turn the turn the problem back on the people. Yeah, absolutely. After As I was prepping for this, I uh, I thought back, I remembered these lyrics from a, a, a Pat Terry song, and it's a, a song called If Jesus Was Like Me. And it, okay. it says, if Jesus was like me, he'd be all merciful and meek till the first time you made like Judas and kissed him on the cheek. Then he'd act all hurt, point out all your sins. When you ask would he forgive you, he'd say, well, that all depends. <laughs> how hopeless we would be if Jesus was like Oh, me. that's good. That's good. I like But that. I think that idea of feeling betrayed, uh, feeling hurt, and then acting out of that, that's what we want to avoid when we feel like it's honest criticism that's coming our way. So is there anything proactive that pastors can do when it comes to dealing with criticism? I, well, I would say as much as we can to welcome it. In fact, to build in constructive criticism and feedback loops. You know, when we're working with new pastors, one of the things that I'll say to them is, who's going to help you watch your blind spots? That search committee that brought you in, you need to keep them active. You need to keep them on uh, your side and helping you to see the things that you don't see coming in. Or I think about my other sort of vocational life right now, my New York life work, which is brand new to me, a brand new field, lots of new ideas. And so to have those people around me that can help me know what I don't know 
and to really see part of my job as to, to be a good receptor of the constructive criticism that's coming my way. And I think some denominations, some churches do better with this than others. You know, maybe they have a formal structure in place to support the pastor and to provide feedback. And others need to create an ad hoc group that they can trust to really shoot straight with them. Sort of a, um, you know, kind of a personal board of directors. I did that my first uh, my first year at my new at my the church where I am now. I created a team that would you know shoot straight with me. So, and then it, I didn't need it after the first year. I didn't think um, so. It kind of faded away. Yeah, I, I think that first period is hugely important. You know, that transition into a new place of ministry because you know clearly the people who have been embedded in that context know so much more about it than we do as pastors coming in. I think inviting that kind of criticism, inviting difficult and honest conversations from people you can trust, you know, that's sort of a move toward that true friend kind of criticism uh, that we were talking about at the beginning. Take some courage, right? Some intentionality. Yeah, I would say, you know, like you did earlier, that receiving criticism has rarely felt good. <laughs> it's not something you sort of go out there looking for. And yet, you know, looking back over my ministry and particularly in different places, and then occasionally in the moment, uh, I've appreciated the kind-hearted, the, the constructive feedback, you know, that comes from a place that really is looking out for your best interest and the best interest of the congregation. Sometimes that comes from a congregant. Sometimes it's from a colleague. Sometimes it's from our spouse. <laughs> You know, but that kind of criticism that you know is coming from a place of care and love. Uh, if we can find that, I think we're doing well. Yeah, that makes some sense. It just seems that so much of the criticism in the church world is not necessarily the good kind of criticism. Like, like the worst is the anonymous notes. You know, the the letters mailed, or I've got uh, I've got somebody taping notes on the outside of our church office door, and they come about once a week. <laughs> Um, and then oh. there's the, you know, yeah, the whispers and, um, you know, that probably th the parking falls into lot the, conversations. Yeah. Those. So, uh, that's the third category, I guess. Unhelpful trolls, right? Right. Right. And with unhelpful trolls, you know, sometimes that criticism can be so unhelpful and so overwhelming that no matter how healthy we are as a pastor, the situation just can't be therapeutic. And I think this gets into that idea of the ingrained culture of the church or the church as a family system. You know, if there's a deep history of mistrust and conflict, and we as pastors are stepping into something that has really been in place for years, you know, we're only one human actor in the system, even if we're an important one. And that can be tough. And if the unhelpful trolls are sitting in your pews uh, and not just taping messages to your church door, I think that can be really tough. It can be really tough. And, and and there's a lot of pain that comes with landing and dealing with a situation like that. I know I've been in a ministry setting uh, that was just toxic. And, uh, you know, it was very painful doing what I felt like I needed to do in that situation and then the fallout from that. And, yeah. yeah the, uh, and so that's part of, I think, David, isn't that part of why we're doing this podcast is so that, clergy um, don't feel so alone when they're facing issues like that? Absolutely. I think we've all 
had our own personal experiences with the unhelpful trolls. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the wisdom would be to not pay attention to the unhelpful troll, you know, take what seems to be productive from that, but then let them go. But in a church situation, sometimes that's just not possible because they were there before we got there and they're ingrained into the congregation. Maybe they're key leaders in the congregation. Yeah. So in, in a situation like that, do you stay? Do you go? Do you, um, you know, it's it's painful and it's difficult and it's challenging. And yeah. there can be a lot of remedial work just to build a baseline of trust. Yes. You know, I think criticism can be really constructive when there's a clear sense of purpose and calling as a minister in congregation. Yeah. But if that's not there, if there's not some sense of partnership and ministry between lay and clergy, sometimes there's just not a productive way forward. Yeah. And sometimes the system is so broken that that trust is just too far gone, isn't there? Um, yeah. 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 Well, I know we've got in our own lives and in our own congregations, probably all three of those things, you know, the <laughs> yeah. uh, true friends, the honest critics and the unhealthy trolls. And they show up, uh, they each take their turn in giving us uh, criticism and feedback. But uh, Rhonda, shifting gears just a little bit, one particular source of criticism that pastors deal with is criticism about their appearance. I know I've been in the room when particularly some of our female clergy friends have discussed this issue. So as a pastor who also happens to be female, um, let me ask you, Rhonda, have you dealt with criticism about your appearance in your role as a pastor? Well, when you're as smoking hot as I am, you don't deal with criticism <laughs> about your appearance. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah. Why yeah. did I even ask that question? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I have dealt with some of this. I think most of my female clergy friends, and and I'm not just saying that it's a female issue, and I think maybe you have your own stories to share. I yeah. do think that some of my female clergy friends have had maybe more of an issue with this. Yeah. Say more about that. Why is it that way, do you think? Well, uh, let me start with a story. So I went to an evangelical seminary, which shall not be named <laughs> for my MDiv. <laughs> I'm not real proud of my MDiv seminary. Um, I was the only woman in my preaching lab. Do you remember preaching lab? <laughs> oh, yeah. that torture oh, yeah. chamber? <laughs> it was probably one of the few times that I put on a tie during seminary. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, your classmates have a sheet of paper and they rate your sermon. And, and so this was, uh, I was the only female in the, in the class and all, most of the other people in the class had had some preaching experience because I guess because they were male and they got preaching experience, but this was my very first opportunity to preach. And so I prepared so hard. I worked my little heart out. I just, I went over and above trying to prepare the perfect sermon, right? Like that exists. And then I got all the feedback forms back and I don't remember any of them except one. Guess which one? Oh, I'm sure it was <laughs> the one that had nothing to do with your sermon. Exactly. You look how brilliant you are. The only thing written on the form that I remember was this. It said, your skirt is too short. <laughs> And oh, I was like, you're are you kidding? kidding? Was where, it was a very conservative suit, right? And the skirt actually touched my knees. And that was the only thing that fella could think to write. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's, you know, 
I don't even really know what to say to that. <laughs> what did, I mean, what did that feel like? What did you take away from, from that? I mean, I know we always kind of hang on the negative criticism, but that really had nothing to do with your preaching. Right. Well, of course, at first I was mad, but over time, and maybe that took me a lot of time, but over time <laughs> I learned to see it as a gift because um, I learned to recognize that my knee length skirt, for whatever reason, maybe he had some issues or whatever, but my knee length skirt was obviously distracting to that gentleman. It inhibited his ability to hear what I was trying to say. And so since that time, and probably it's due to that little mild trauma, right? Uh, but since that time, I've attempted yeah. to alleviate any kind of visual distractions when I'm preaching, whether it be, you know, dangling earrings or bright red lipstick or flashy shoes. Hmm. Huh. The, I mean, that all seems to be items or visuals that we would think of as kind of particularly feminine. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, now I'm going to say something, and some of our female clergy friends aren't necessarily going to agree with me, and I think I think that's okay. We all kind of make our way in this thing, but this is my personal choice that I make a conscious effort when I'm preaching to androgenize. You know, I'm not trying to look masculine, but but to take away as many reminders as possible of my gender, knowing that my gender is a barrier to some who would hear me. That's interesting to me, and I sort of pause right there just because I don't know that I've heard anyone say it in that way. And so it's, it's sort just of, keeping it real. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that's great. I, I just, you know, to me that it's just a different perspective. And I know that as a male clergy person, that there's so much less of this, though, not none of it, but there's so much right. less of it that I have to even think about. So how, how is it when you're thinking about this in terms of this effort of yours to minimize that gender barrier, how do you go about that? Well, that's to me, that's the beauty of vestments. So I, I robe nearly every time I preach, and that means it gets hot in Florida. <laughs> but, uh, practically speaking, it alleviates me having to spend a ton of money to look fabulous every single week. Um, no, you wouldn't need that anyway. Right? Yeah, right. It also alleviates distractions on the part of my parishioners, as many of them, like probably most of us, kind of automatically judge other people and, and what they're wearing and whether it fits and whether it looks good on them. Plus, in a robe, I can gain 10 pounds and nobody much notices. <laughs> Do you think there's a large percentage of our female colleagues who think in this way, or are there a variety mm. of perspectives that you feel oh, like are out there in the, 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 the female preacher world, if I can yeah. say it that way. <laughs> there are, there are definitely a variety of perspectives and, and this is just my own and it's not the right way. It's just, yeah. just the way that I have um, kind of tried to alleviate <laughs> any more of those, you know, your skirt is too short kind of comments. Yeah. Uh, no, I've got, I've got clergy friends who wear stilettos and, you know, yeah. dangly earrings and a lot of clergy women don't, don't robe and they, you know, wear dresses or whatever. So I, you know, maybe it's personal choice. I just choose to try to eliminate um, anything that would distract people from hearing what I've worked hard to prepare to say. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I, I really respect that. And, uh, and while it's not something I've heard people talk about very often, I really sort of respect the perspective that you've taken on that and just the commitment that you have toward the importance of that message that you feel compelled to preach being the primary thing. 
I, I've also been mostly in settings where we have worn robes and stoles. And from the, the male pastor perspective, I think it's really helpful too. I mean, my uniform would sort of be the tie and the, the white or blue dress shirt. And right. it's just really helpful. And I, I feel like you're saying some of that same thing. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a benefit to the robe as well. It I say it covers a multitude of sins. And uh, of course, I, I think maybe we could talk about body image um, in another episode. Sure, uh, but there's yeah. more than that. Um, you know, you've probably heard that some high achievers have a uniform so that they don't have to make decisions about clothes. They want to save their decision-making energy to bigger decisions. You can think about Steve Jobs and his black turtleneck or uh, Rachel Maddow and her black suit. You know, hopefully she has more than one of those black suits. I think President Obama did this, maybe. I think that's right. Yeah, except for that one time that he wore the tan suit and the internet exploded. You remember that? (laughs) Yeah, the audacity of taupe, right? (laughs) Right. So my uniform for Sunday mornings is my robe, my seasonal stole, and then I've got black pants and conservative black shoes, and boom, I'm done. No fret, no worrying, slap on any old blouse with the black pants. I'm good to go. And then if I have to speak or present in other settings, I have a conservative pants suit. No more skirt too short for me there. (laughs) Yeah, it seems like that feedback from Preaching Lab has uh, shaped some things (laughs) for you along the way. Mild trauma, little trauma. I I do think that this is not a aspect of criticism that is unique to female preachers, although I I do think that you have probably the bulk of the challenge in this department. But I have certainly had experiences with criticism about you know, wearing shorts to youth group on a Wednesday night, which oh, seemed, okay, you know, right. pretty reasonable to me. I also Short shorts had, or like... Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> I've I, they touched my knee just like that skirt, <laughs> right, right? Right, But I also, so when I came to a uh, new congregation and was moving from one town to another, after having been called to the, the congregation, they printed a picture of me in the newsletter the next week. And uh, I heard from someone at the new congregation that the new youth minister, because of my beard, looked like a terrorist. So there's that. Wow. Wow. That's, that's just crazy. That's just crazy that um, women, we get a lot of hair comments too. And one of the most frustrating things, I'm used to it. I don't do anything about it. I just, you know, smile, whatever. But, you know, when you're shaking them out the door, I had a country preacher friend who talked about how you shake them out the door. You know, you shake their hands as they leave. Yeah, right. They say different things. And uh, the comment is always, or, or sometimes, you know, oh, I like what you've done with your hair. And I'm always like, Oh, okay. But what about the sermon? I worked so hard to preach. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That comment that you get that has nothing to do with the sermon. Yeah. That's usually the one that sticks longer than any of the others, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, I uh, think that probably brings us to a good point to say, um, Rhonda, I hope that you will experience less criticism like that note in Preaching Lab. (laughs) But when you do, I hope that you'll have another tool or two in your toolbox that will help you to respond in a positive way. And maybe the preachers out there who are listening will have that as well. Yeah, maybe we should wrap this up by saying if you're a pastor out there and you're experiencing criticism of whatever kind, know that you're not alone. 
know that you're not alone. We've all been through it. So reach out, reach out to, to one of us or a clergy friend. Make sure you find some community around you to deal with that. I think there's a lot of hope in that. We're here for one another, right? That's right. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Pastor Life from Pinnacle Leadership Associates. Be sure and check out our website at pinlead.com. That's P-I-N-N-L-E-A-D.com for clergy coaching, church consulting, as well as resources for leading adaptive change in your congregation. You'll also want to sign up for our weekly e-news with relevant articles and other resources from our team, as well as information about upcoming webinars and coaching cohorts. Hey, David. Yeah. I, I like what you've done with your hair. Well, thanks, Rhonda. <laughs> you know, the COVID cut has been a thing around our house. Break out the clippers and have at it. Right. It looks good. It looks good. Well, thanks. I'll keep it up.